On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What was written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbors as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and we saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he took and he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for the, any extra expense you may have. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the arms of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He just told him, go and do likewise. Thanks, Eric. Good morning. There's a brave and an honest prayer that an old Jewish king wrote, uh, old King David, and I wonder if you'd be willing to pray it with me as we start our time together. It's at the end of a psalm that he wrote, Psalm 139, and if you're willing to make it your prayer this morning, maybe you can say a firm amen in your heart. Shall we pray? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. One day a lawyer comes up to Jesus and it's not the sort of lawyer that you might expect. It's not a tax lawyer or a corporate lawyer or a compensation guy. It's an expert in the law of God. Uh, Books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books in the Jewish and Christian Old Testament. Now that's his area of expertise. Now you'd expect other lawyers to know the ins and outs of their area of the law to help you guide through what the law means and how it applies in specific circumstances, especially to give you the outcome that you want. Same goes for this guy. Only what's at stake here isn't a compensation claim. You know, it isn't acquiring a company, it isn't any of that. This is about an inheritance. He is interested in inheriting eternal life, which is what God has to give you. What do you have to do? How do you prove that you have a part in God's family? 
And so have a legitimate claim to a share in the inheritance that only God can give you? It's a good question. Uh, But right from the start we're told it's not a genuine question. He's got an agenda here. He's not asking to find an answer, he's asking to test Jesus. If you look at uh, Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles with you there, Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, we're told right from the start, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, Testing Jesus doesn't usually turn out very well for the tester. And this man gets the tables turned on him very, very quickly. Instead of answering, Jesus redirects the question back to him. He says, what do you think? Now, this is the lawyer's moment to shine, isn't it? He gets a direct question about the area of the law that he's an expert in. He studied the law of Moses, front to back. He knew it like the back of his hand. It's not a small document. There are lots and lots of individual laws and commands for this man to sort of pick from. Lots of specific situations to cover and yet this lawyer is clever enough to pick two things that are the most important which sum up the rest of it. Look at verse 27. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. And love your neighbour as yourself. Leviticus 19.18. See, this man's done his homework. He is pretty familiar with the books of the law. And he knows if you love God with everything you've got, and if you love your neighbour, the law says you will be saved. That's what God wants from you. That's what the law is about. And Jesus confirms it. Verse 28 You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Now, if I was this lawyer, I'd be feeling over the moon briefly, and then I'd be gutted. To be told by Jesus you're correct is kind of nice. It's like a yay me moment, I got it right. I know my stuff, I understand what the law says, but when Jesus goes on, and he has to go on, doesn't he? He says, do this and you will live. Because I know what my last week this week has been like. It's not pretty, is it? And not just the last seven days. I'm not even counting all the other past failures that I've banked up for years when I haven't done either of these two things. Do this and you'll live. Great. Unless, and here's where the lawyer in this man comes out, unless we can find some wiggle room in the interpretation of the law, maybe in the terms of reference, that can give us an agreeable outcome. Now, the first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. I mean, there's not exactly a lot of wiggle room there at all, is it? Quite the opposite. The way it's written, it's pretty clear. It's pretty absolute, actually. But the second command, love your neighbour as yourself, well, define neighbour. Now, look at verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? At our place in Wurunga, in the cul-de-sac that we live in, uh, we have an incredible neighbour. The most neighbourly neighbour that you could ask for. An older couple, uh, a bit older than us, probably closer to my mum and dad's age, Paul and Diane. And I couldn't be happier living next to anybody else, seriously. On bin night, for example, uh, the next morning, 
what Paul does is he's the sort of guy who goes up and he wheels everyone's bins back to their house. That's just what he does if you don't beat him to it. Last year when their house got broken into around Christmas time, the first thing Paul does is call up Joyce and me to make sure that we were okay because it was during the day and Joyce was probably at home, he figured, so he wanted to make sure that she was all right. He's generous with this. He lends me his ladder, he lends me his lawnmower. I asked him about it once. And to him, he said it is natural because in his words, we're neighbours. We live right next door to each other. We're the closest human beings to each other. We have to look after each other. It's what neighbours do. See, for Paul, a neighbour, perhaps not unsurprisingly, is anyone who lives next to him. He brings in the bins for his neighbours. You don't see him doing it for the next street across. You don't see him do it because we're his neighbours, not those people. It's proximity. And for the lawyer in Luke 10, if he's going to be accountable for whether he's loved his neighbours, he wants to know exactly who counts as his neighbours. Is it the people who live next to him? Is it as far as two houses on either side? Does it stretch across the road? Is it everyone in his community, you know, in his neighbourhood? Everyone who's a part of his synagogue, maybe they all count as his neighbours. He wants to know exactly, and he wants to know, we're told, because he wanted to justify himself. Verse 29. You know, to make himself seen to be upholding the law and to be found by the law to be in the right. Because, you know, honestly speaking, there were probably lots of people that this expert in the law treated very well. Knowing who counts as his neighbour effectively paints for him the boundary, the fence line, the, the, the limit to the circle of people that he is obligated to love according to the law of Moses. Now look, I understand what this lawyer is trying to do. But he's barking up the wrong tree. And Jesus knows it. Because even though this man knows what the law says, he's applying it in the wrong way. And so I think Jesus tells him this story to correct how he thinks. Let me read it for you again so you have it fresh in your ears. It starts at verse 30, Luke chapter 10. Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. Now, this isn't necessarily a true story of real events that actually happened. I don't know if there was actually a real good Samaritan rescuing a real beaten-up guy. It reads more like an illustration, an example to help make a point. Apparently, the real-life road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a dangerous sort of place, known for having lots of robbers and people getting mugged. So in this story, 
There's a man who happens to be at the wrong time at the wrong place. Uh, he's robbed and beaten up, left for dead by the side of the road. And in the story, three people come walking past. It's always three people in stories. That's how they work. First, a priest, then a Levite. Uh, a Levite means this guy is part of the tribe in Israel who's meant to look after the temple. And then a Samaritan, boo hiss. Uh, when the priest comes by, the priest sees this half-dead man and his solution is to make some distance between them. He crosses over to the other side of the road. Same thing happens with the Levite. It's the Samaritan, boo hiss, who decides to help. Now all three men had the opportunity to love. Uh, they didn't plan it. They weren't expecting to come across this poor guy, but here they are. And it's not like they didn't see him. It's explicit in the story. Each person came up to the spot and saw this man. The priest and Levite don't just happen to move over to the other side of the road at the wrong time and weren't paying attention. No, they see him and he's why they skip across to the other side of the road. They know this is a man who's created in God's image just like they are. They know they're meant to love him, but they don't. No, they create distance. They cross over to the other side deliberately. And just like the expert in the law, they're giving themselves reasons to limit their love. I think that's what's going on in their heads. It's what we do. Is what we do is how we justify not doing the good things that we know we should do. Uh, we call those things the sins of omission. They didn't beat up this guy, they didn't rob the guy, they didn't kick him when he was down, but two of the three men didn't help either. They didn't do anything, but they could have. They should have. We're not even told why they didn't help. But you bet there were voices in their head justifying why they didn't stop. We tell ourselves these things all the time. Maybe not out loud, maybe not even consciously, but it's how we live with ourselves. We tell ourselves stories, and if they were being absolutely blunt and honest, if they were vocalising what's going on in their heads to this guy who's been beaten up and communicating with words what they were thinking, what they were already effectively communicating with their body language... They're basically saying, here is why I don't love you. I'm too busy. Thinking about me. I'm on my own journey here. Doing my own thing, going my own way. I'm not going to make space for you in my life. Not today. I've got places to be. <laughs> or maybe the priest sees the Levite coming behind him, so he says, look, here's why I don't love you. Someone else can do it. There's a Levite back there. He's much better at practical things than I am. I'll let him fix you up. And the Levite, what's he do? He sees the priest going ahead of him and he says, well, he's not stopping. <laughs> Here's why I don't love you. Why should I? The other guy didn't stop. He's a priest. I'm just a Levite. I'm going to let myself off the hook here. More likely, both these guys are saying, look, here's why I don't love you. I don't want to get my hands dirty. You're a bloody mess. And the law of God says, if I touch a dead body, and you're pretty close, I'm going to be ritually unclean for a week. I'm a priest, I'm a Levite, I'm heading to the temple, I'm doing good things. I don't want that on me. So out of my love for God and the temple and what I do there, it's really better if I don't touch you. 
In fact, I'm going to walk on the other side of the road. Thank you very much. It's terrible, isn't it? Oh, look, here's why I don't love you. It's too risky. If I stop, I expose myself in this dangerous road to potentially get myself hurt. Who knows if there's other robbers around? Who knows if you are legitimately going to you know, hurt me even though you're half beaten to a pulp? I don't even know you, though. You're a stranger. Oh, look, here's why I don't love you. It costs too much. It, it costs too much. There's no hospitals around in those days, no Medicare system, no bulk billing. If I care for this man, I pick up the bill, don't I? Who needs that? I've got mouths to feed. There's a temple renovation project that I want to give to. I don't want to pay for this man's medical bills. And the last man that comes around, this Samaritan, you might have already picked up that Samaritans and Jews don't get along. In fact, they're cultural enemies, a long, deep history of really not liking each other. So the Samaritan comes around the corner and he could have said, look, here's why I don't love you. You're my enemy. Your people and my people hate each other. I don't care what happens to you. But he doesn't say that, does he? The Samaritan comes around and sees a beaten and broken man on the side of the road, and his heart is filled with compassion, we're told. He disinfects the wounds as best as he can. He bandages him up. He puts him on his own donkey, which means it's a Samaritan who's walking all the way to Jericho. He gives him time and effort. It even pays to have him taken care of once they get to their stop. And when they get to their stop, you think at that point, the Samaritan, he could walk away having done his good deed. He's got the man to safety, he's in the clear, but no. Then he says, I'll be back. To pay the difference, to make sure that he's okay. He had a perfect chance to walk away from his commitment right there and then. But instead, he chooses to make this man his responsibility. So, verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He's getting all the answers right today, isn't he? Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This lawyer started off wanting Jesus to define who was a neighbour and who wasn't so he could limit his obligations to love. What Jesus is saying is, now the point of the law is that you're supposed to be neighbourly. Love people. The law wasn't there to sort of show who you don't have to love. The point of the law is to say that whoever you are, wherever you get the opportunity, love. Because guess what? They're your neighbours. That's the point of the law. That's how you're meant to apply it. The law of love demands you don't walk away. And we don't know how this lawyer responds. We're not told one way or the other. You can be sure, Jesus definitely gave him plenty to think about. Same goes for us, I think, who've heard this story. We have plenty to think about because I know most of us aren't Jewish. We don't live according to the books of the law of Moses. We follow Jesus. You know, We say, he is our Lord. We don't follow the Old Testament law. But look what Jesus goes on to do. 
He doesn't just tell you the story of the Good Samaritan, full stop. No, he embodies it. You fast forward a bit to chapter 23 of Luke and you see Jesus dying on the cross. Paying a costly price to love his enemies. He even prays there on the cross for people mocking him, Father, forgive them. He doesn't walk away. He sees a broken and beaten up world and he crosses the universe to help. Now he chooses to make us his responsibility. He takes on our burdens. He dies in our place so that we could be spiritually restored. And if you love Jesus, if you say you're following Jesus, you have no right to draw a line in the sand to withhold love from anybody. I'm so glad that as a church we've started to form a subcommittee to help us think through how to care for the poor and vulnerable in our midst. They're going to do some really good work for us, I think. And I think it will help us to love better. Would you pray for them, that they'll be really wise in how they, how they think and how they help us? And also pray that the rest of us would have Jesus' compassion so that when they do bring their recommendations, that we'd be willing and ready to get our hands dirty so that we'd be able to jump at the opportunities that are presented. Now, I know we can't be everything to everybody. We can't be everything to everyone, but every day we have opportunities We have opportunities to do good and to step in and to care. And maybe even as we've been looking at this story in this last 20 minutes or so, the Spirit of God has been prompting you and reminding you of people in your life who He wants you to be loving. Let me simply lead us in prayer that we'd be ready this week to love the people that God puts in our way. Will you pray? Father, we thank you and praise you for sending Jesus. And we thank you that you have compassion on us. You you see us in our spiritually broken state at the side of the road. Despite the fact that we're your enemies, Jesus dies for us. Father, we pray that you'd help us who've been on the receiving end of that kind of love to be agents of your blessing to our world, even this week. Help us to love people, not just the ones who are easy to love, not just our family or our friends, even though sometimes family is hard to love. Father, we pray that even this week you'd help us to seize opportunities that you give us, to step in and to help and to care in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.